I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've got a title on the board. I've been teaching on the 70 weeks of Daniel. That is the very reason for everything after Israel's being carried away into captivity. It's the reason they were carried away into captivity. It's the very reason that God measured out 70 weeks to, uh, in Daniel's book, Daniel nine twenty four through 27. The reason it is the most important prophecy in the Bible concerning, um, concerning the end of time is because all the time that Israel was a nation under kings, from 1 Samuel all the way to Second Chronicles, Israel went after Christmas and Easter under its ancient name. Let me put pagan name, pagan name, Baal and the grove worship. December the 25th was the birthday of Mithra, the chief sun god of Rome and in the ancient world. Because Israel went after these gods, when God said, if you go after other gods, he said, if you go after other gods, I'm going to send four judgments. Four judgments. You say, Jim, you put it on the board all the time. It's all in the Bible constantly in the Old Testament. There's several words that's in the Old Testament. And scatter is all through the Old Testament. When the Bible, God says, I'll scatter Israel. Scatter is all through the Old Testament. Scatter. Scattereth. Scattereth. And scattered. The weird thing about all this is scatter in the New Testament is the word scorpizo. And that is the verb form of of Scorpios, S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S, which is the word scorpion. Since they lived in a desert, they called men who were false teachers, they called them scorpions. We would call them a snake in the grass here in America. It don't mean they're a snake crawling around in the grass. That means they're low-life people that cheat people. That's what a scorpion was. And when you see in you see in the Revelation 9, you see locusts coming out of the bottomless pit. Bottomless pit is a very, very important word because it actually means A-B-U-S-S-O-S. That's our word, abyss, A-B-Y-S-S. When we think of an abyss, 
we think of some great deep gigantic hole that's got fog in it and we don't understand it if you go down to I saw on the TV showed this waterfall falling over going a thousand feet down and all kinds of water vapor was down there and you and they said something about it looked like an abyss that you couldn't tell what was there and that's what it was abyss comes from bathos this is the word bottomless pit bathos the alpha in front of that negates the word that's it's called an alpha privative I don't make these things up that's the way the, the way the words are construction alpha privative p-r-i-v-a-t-i-v-e when you look up the word bottomless pit in your concordance it will say from bathos it will give you the number bathos meaning a place of knowledge knowledge or understanding or in intelligence well the alpha privative when it says from the alpha privative as a neg part that's what it'll say in your concordance as a negative particle that's what it means it means that alpha privative is going to negate that word and it means no knowledge that's what it means that's very important to understand because when you look at this map of the Mediterranean Sea every bit of the Bible it takes place within this scope right here all the Bible on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea they said the sea was a place of an abyss they didn't even call that an abyss they said the sea had demons in it and they had all kinds of superstitions and they would make up things they, they had demons was something they made up they constructed that to keep from having repent of themselves well the only people that had any knowledge in this area of God was right here was Israel everywhere else in this area was a place of no knowledge or a place of the Gentiles they didn't have any knowledge of God so when it says the beast comes up out of the sea it's simply talking about the beast Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome the Babylonian lion, the Persian bear the Grecian leopard and the beast with iron teeth well that was Babylon on the Euphrates River Babylon ruled all this area here when it was ruling it ruled the sea on this end of it and then Persia was Iran or Pakistan or all the stands Afghanistan that was Persia that was the bear here's the lion the bear the leopard was Greece and the beast with iron teeth was Rome right here and they all ruled all this area on the sea when they were in control of Israel now so when you have to always look in the Old Testament I don't know why nobody has found out that the verb form of scorpion is scorpizo in John 10 the parable of the good shepherd Jesus says the hireling the man who works 
He preaches for money, or he watches over the sheep for money. The hireling, I don't know why I put a why there, hireling. The hireling cares not for the sheep. He allows the wolf to come in and scatter the flock. Scatter is the word scorpizo. So scorpions are wolves, false teachers. Jesus says that wolves are false teachers in Matthew, the seventh chapter. And Paul says wolves are false teachers in Acts, the 20th chapter. He said, grievous wolves will come in when I'm gone and they will not spare the flock. You've got to use all of the Bible to explain part of it. Just like Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome come up out of the sea. It's literally talking about the Mediterranean Sea that they call the Great Sea. Now, so I want you to understand the reason for the 70 weeks of Daniel all the time that Israel was a nation particularly from 1 Kings to the end before Samuel Samuel was the beginning 1 Samuel was the beginning of Israel as a nation or the kingdom as a nation kingdom and before that it was the book of Judges book of Judges and in the judges, they were going after Baal, Grove, or what they call Ashtaroth, A-S-H-T-O-R-O-T-H. If it's spelled with an O, it's plural. If it's spelled with an E, Ashtoreth, it's singular. Well, they kept going after Baal and Grove, and they brought that in when they came in out of 40 years in the wilderness. The last place they came through was a place called Moab Moab is just see this is Israel right here and see this looks like a handle on a pan or something like that that is Jordan southern Jordan was the old ancient land of Moab Moab and they came through a town called Baal Peor, P-E-O-R. And they, when they came through Baal Peor, when they crossed the river just above the Sea of God, the, just above the Dead Sea goes up and the Sea of Galilee, out of the Sea of Galilee is the source of the Jordan River and it runs down into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the same thing as the lake out in Utah. It has so much salt in it, nothing could live in it. That's why they call it Dead Sea. It has such buoyancy, you can sit down in it and not sink, just like you can out there in the lake, in the sea in, in Utah. The Salt Lake, they call it Salt Lake out there. Salt Lake City is capital city of Utah. Well, it's the same thing. And this is, if this is Israel, and this is on the eastern border, and here's the Dead Sea here. So when they crossed, they come through Moab, and they brought this, a few apostate people, brought this Baal grove with them, Baal God. 
Needless to say, we also know that northern Israel, northern Israel, when Ahab, who was the king of northern Israel, meets Jezebel from Tyre and Sidon, her father was the priest of Tyre, or the he was at the Baal, the priest of Baal, and this is the same thing as we call Lebanon. Well, when he when Ahab marries Jezebel, she brings her gods down here into Israel, and that's the, and she brought Baal in the grove, and you could see that in First Kings, the sixteenth chapter. And then in the 17th chapter, God sends Elijah to say, there'll be no rain for three and a half years. That's the same thing as famine, as famine. And those are the things that God said he would do to Israel while they were a nation for 1 Samuel through Second Chronicles. Israel didn't get involved again in Baal in the grove. Bell in the Grove until First Kings. First and Second Samuel, I always name that book myself. I call First and Samuel First and Second Samuel the books of Saul and David. It was all about them. That's all it was about. It was about Saul being king, the people saying, we want a king to rule over us. God says, I'll give you one. He'll be the wrong king from the wrong tribe. And he gave him Saul, who came out of the tribe of Benjamin. The king has to come out of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet till Shiloh come. So the scepter has to go to Judah. That's why God had to change. And he changed Saul. He rejected Saul and called David to be king in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. Then, when you get to 1 Kings in the 11th chapter, Saul gets crazy. I'm not Saul, excuse me. Solomon gets goes off to sun's space somewhere. Well, he marries 700 wives. 300 concubines concubines are secondary wives concubines you say why would he do that the best scholars say he probably did that to make peace with foreign kings because he would marry he would marry the daughter of Pharaoh so that way he could get along with Pharaoh but he didn't have to do that all he had to do was obey God, and then he'd go against his enemy one way, and then three seven ways. That's all he had to do. That's all we have to do. That's the same thing in our lives. If we will go after God and his laws and commandments, our enemies will flee seven ways. It doesn't mean you're going to get rich, but you can conquer your enemies that way. So, Israel got involved in Baal in the Grove, that is the same Baal was the fire god and Grove was the tree goddess. That was brought into the church. I got some papers that I drew up years ago. That was brought into the church by Constantine. How do you know that? Here's something I've said so many times I've never had anybody comment to me on it. Revelation 17 and 5. 
says that Babylon mothered. She gave birth to. She nurtured all. It says harlotry. But harlotry is the word pornea. Pornea. We get our word porn from that. It doesn't mean just to look at naked men and women. It means, idolatry means to serve what you see. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A comes from ido. That means to see or perceive. Perceive. And la truo. That's the same word in the 16th chapter of John. That they'll think they do God's service when they kill the Christians. It's the same word, la truo, service. It means to serve what you put into your eyes and your ears. you got to watch out what you look at and what you put in your eyes and your ears. You say, why, why is that? Do Christians, they don't want the same thing sinners want. Yes, they do. You got this outer man that loves all men to look. I'm a man. I can tell you what men do and think. All men love to look at naked women. How's that for being blunt? All men. Don't tell me because the Bible says there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. If I will own up to my sin, I know what yours is. I can call it down because I know my mind. All men want to be this outer man that man lives in wants nice things to dress up, to be respected, people to look at you and like you. The Bible doesn't teach that for a believer. So if Babylon mothered all idolatry, then everywhere in the Bible you can find idolatry. The idolatry of Israel was Baal in the grove. Right? The idolatry that Constantine brought into the church was the idols of all these Huns, Ostrogoths, Visigoths, Vandals. It was all about... Constantine thought he was going to lose the empire, particularly to the Visigoths, because they were some of the most wild, barbaric people. They lived on horseback. They lived to maraud and kill and slaughter. That's what they lived for. If you attack them or you overtax them, they'd come after you. They'd all get on their horses like a bunch of Comanche Indians. I say Comanche because those were somebody didn't want to fool with, the Comanches in Texas. And they'd come after you. And they say they could fire a bow and arrow and hit the target at 50 yards. Just deadly. So Constantine was afraid he was going to lose the empire to all of these pagan Huns, Vandals, Goths, Visigoths, Burgundians, all of these, that most of them were coming from the Far East. And they were hordes of them, H-O-A-R-D-S. They had a series on these barbarians back in the early 2000s on TV. If you get the barbarians, it'll tell you all about them. And they were rampaging across this European continent. Constantine here in Rome said, if I don't do something, they'll overrun Rome. So what he did, 
He issued the Edict of Toleration in 312 A.D. He ascended the throne around 305 A.D. He issued this Edict of Toleration, or he called it the Edict of Milan. M-I-L-A-N. And he said, what we'll do, we'll bring all of these gods, these sun and tree worshipers, into the church at Rome. Well, isn't that exactly what Israel was brought into Israel? They brought in sun and tree worship. All gods have the same background. They all came out of Babylon. So, what Constantine brought in the church, which was all these hordes of he brought them in, said they can come into the church and they can hold office and they can be deacons. And so can the Christians that he's trying to kill off. And he couldn't kill them all off. So he said, everybody can come into the church and have a mixed religion and everybody will accept everybody else by tolerating their religion. That's where Christmas came from. Now I've got a paper here. I need to make a bunch of copies of it. I've had some made in the past. This has got major points about Christmas. And I go through this and show you all of these points of Christmas. I've got another one. I made this up about 20 years ago. I had this made up. This is a paper on Christmas, the true story of Christmas. And I made I wrote this about 25 28 years ago I never have I don't use it much but I tell you all the truth about Christmas and that I'll give you some of these points of Christmas number one Christmas is the word Christ Mass let me erase this up here we're going into Christmas and the 70 weeks of Daniel was a time period that God used to whip Israel and to cause their total repentance. But it takes the full 70 weeks. 70 times 7. They had 70 sets of those sabbatical years. Every 7 years they had to leave the land alone and let it lie fallow. Every 7 years. And they had 70 sets of these. So they just said, we'll go after these other gods that'll let us have our way they'll be our cultural uh, gods that will let us they'll give us our crops without a sabbatical year so they pulled in Baal and the grove and Shemash and Molech and all these other sun and tree gods that's what Constantine brought in the church in 325 AD and what he did he took a festival that they already had. It was called Feast of Saturn. Feast of Saturn, or the Saturnalia, S-A-T-U-R-N-A-L-I. Now, the Saturnalia was an orgy. You do know what an orgy is, don't you? That's a sexual permissive thing that happens where they got it in the streets they got women with women men with men men with women they're doing it openly they're doing it with animals 
That is what the Feast of Saturn was. So he just changed the name of the Saturnalia. And what they're going to do is legalize paganism in the church. When people say, I don't see anything wrong with celebrating Jesus on December the 25th, the best thing you can do is move Jesus as far away as you can from an orgy. He doesn't want his name on an orgy. That's outrageous. And there are people like John MacArthur that says, well, as long as we do this in the name of Jesus. No! Leviticus 18.31 says... Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs. He said, notice in that verse he didn't say don't worship their gods. He said, don't keep their customs. The customs lead you away to captivity. Does Christmas lead people into activity that is stinking to God, abomination, Delegma, B-D-E-L-U-G-M-A. Delegma means to stink. That's the word abomination in the Greek. It's a stink. And we get the word B-D-B-D-A-E. Bidet. E-A. A bidet is a place where you go wash your bottom. And you have one in an expensive home. An expensive home happens, has them so they can wash their tail end if they do their duty. That's where we get the word from delegma, which is the word abomination. It's a stink to God. That's what Christmas is, whether John MacArthur likes it or not. What bothers me about John, he's a very brilliant man, very smart, very smooth talking. But he says some things that's just wrong about Christmas. I have had people ask me, aren't you going to celebrate the birthday of Jesus? I say, first of all, it's not the birthday of Jesus, it's the birthday of Mithra, the sun god of Rome. And no, I'm not. I'm, how can I celebrate Jesus? Take a day off to say Merry Christmas and all this stuff. I I serve Jesus every day. I try to go out and witness witness somebody every day. I get on the phone and talk to people every day. I don't ever talk about the Bible without talking. Verses and words. I did that interview with that lady from England about us going on TV over in the United Kingdom. And she'd ask me a question. Everything was a verse and a Greek word and a verse and a Greek word and a verse and a Greek word. Everything I said to her was, it's like it didn't go. I don't think it went the way she thought it would go because all I was interested, she said, what do you want to bring to to the United Kingdom? I said, I want to bring them these Greek words and tell them the truth about the Bible that most preachers don't do. So I'd give her a Greek word and tell her the definition. I'd say, preachers don't believe that. And just, I believe in taking every chance I can to give somebody the truth. Now, I don't have time to take a day off for Jesus. Let me read some more about this Christ Mass. Number one, Christmas, if you look in, I got some uh, Britannica encyclopedias up here. You can get the C volume, look up Christ Christmas, and it'll say Christus Mass A, M A E. 
S-S-E. Christus Mass. Now, most people don't know what the Mass is. The Mass was a perversion of what the Catholics did with John the 6th chapter. You want to follow me? Go over there. Here's what they did to the Mass. Christ's Mass, when you look it up in a dictionary, they'll say it's the festival of Christ. It doesn't mean to sit down with Christ and have a festival with Him. It means to eat Christ. That's what it means. The old pagans, you can get out of Hastings' dictionary, there's a section in there that says eating the God. And that's what the pagans believe they did. They could eat their God. Now here in the 6th chapter, this is where Christmas comes from. The Roman Catholics took time to do whatever they wanted to do. And Jesus says, Jesus says here in verse 47, chapter 6 of John, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. What does it mean to believe on Christ? Believe is the word pisteuo. P-I-S-T-E-U-O. That is a verb form of faith, which is the word, this is faith, and this is believe. These are two words that really confused me as a young man. I thought, why does God say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then why does he say, by grace you are saved through faith? Because they're the basic same word. One is the verb, believe is the verb, verb faith is the noun faith is the word p-i-s-t-i-s believe is the word p-i-s-t-e-u-o p-i-s-t is the stem of the word word endings are changed depending on some character of the word so jesus said and if you believe you do what god says you're obedient he that doeth truth cometh to the light John 3.21 you you got to believe and you got to do the truth and the Bible says we have to be, be obedient to God's word he has to put that in us we're not saved by works but we are saved by working faith faith without works is dead faith works by the agape by love verily verily I say unto you he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. If you believe on God, you do the things that He says. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is that bread which cometh down from heaven. That's me, He's saying. That a man may eat this bread and not die. And He compares it with the manna that came down from heaven. I am the living bread. So you eat of the bread, you eat of Jesus, don't you? Which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this this bread, he shall live forever. The bread is him. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. Boy, is my flesh. So we have to eat of the flesh of Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, Starting in about 18, the Bible says that the flesh, that the veil of the temple now, and we are the temple, the veil of the temple is his flesh. And we're going to see the flesh is his body. 
and the body is the church there in Colossians 1 18 and 124 church so if we eat of his flesh we eat of his body we eat overtake of the church and that's the veil this is the temple the Bible says the veil is his flesh and everything that the flesh is equal to and the flesh is the truth the flesh is the bread and the flesh is the body and like the old axiom and algebra things equal to the same thing are equal to each other and they're all the same thing the church is the bread the bread's the body the body's the truth and the flesh is the church it's all the same thing then he says I am this living bread that come down from heaven any man eat this bread he shall live forever the bread that I will give is my flesh which I give for the life of the world and the Jews therefore strove among themselves saying we don't understand this figurative language what do you mean how can this man give us his flesh to eat well there were sayings among the Jews they had an idiom Jesus said he said concerning the woman he said to the disciples or the apostles in John 4 they went into the town after Jesus was talking to this woman at the well and they said they came back from town they went to get something to eat and they said have you eaten anything Jesus he said I have a meat to eat of that you don't know anything about he says the meat that I eat my meat is to do to do the word of God to do the truth so that's food to eat of doing truth what if I said truth was the law thy word is truth and the law nomos means legal legal prescribed food prescribed that's that's very important prescribed food for animals in our case we are sheep so that would be our food would be the law remember the word iniquity is the word a-n-o-m-i-a there we are again with that negative particle that comes from the alpha privative and nomos it means no legal food for God's sheep no legal food that's iniquity that goes all the way back to the garden where God said you can eat of every tree in the garden but you cannot go beyond the boundary line and eat of that tree in the midst of the garden because that would be iniquity no law there's a lawfulness to eat of these trees here but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil no that's how far iniquity goes back to the garden now let's keep on reading here the Jews therefore strove among themselves so how can he give us his flesh to eat what's he talking about do you go up and bite him on the arm or what 
Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. It was against Jewish law to drink blood and eat human flesh. And they knew that. And then he says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood. So the Roman Catholics took that in the form of a Eucharist, that the Eucharist comes from Eucharistia. A-U-C-H-A-R-I-S-T-I-A. By the way, that is the word thanks giving (laughs) do I believe in thanksgiving no it's just as pagan as anything else first of all how many things are we to be thankful in all things everything and everything give thanks 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and everything give thanks for this is the will of God have you ever heard anybody said thank you God for this car wreck and God that police officer just walked away and he gave me a ticket thank you Lord for this because every step of my life will be different if I get down the road two years from now and something happens I say this is the will of God not without this ticket here because he stepped he kept you held up for 10 or 15 minutes and every step you take and every place you go will be different than if you hadn't got the ticket so you can't even say down the road if if somebody else is in a car wreck and you just get saved by a moment not without that ticket you had to have that ticket and everything give thanks boy it's hard to do that is it hard to give thankful when you get the COVID-19 is it hard well that's what you're supposed to do in everything give thanks so why are you just going to be thankful for turkey and and dressing and uh, and uh, what's the cranberry sauce. cranberry sauce why are you just going to be thankful for that and nothing else if you're going to be thankful for everything you've got to be thankful for everything that happens in your life but when you do that then you start believing God and following God and doing his work and his word aren't you that's what thankfulness is I had a real honorary father he got in arguments all day long every day till he was an old man till he was older than me and he was a preacher and he'd cuss people and he'd get after them I'm really thankful that I had the father I had because he's the reason that I think for myself. When I got into my 20s, I said, if I can't trust this man who I thought was nearly God in the flesh, I'm going to have to start really analyzing everything before I move. And that's what I do now. I analyze everything. It gets in my path. And I try to do the best thing that's for me and for the kingdom of God that I can do and I, most people say you can't be thankful for a man like that somebody that lives in a real nice life and a real nice family and a good Christian father like John MacArthur had he had a real good Christian father that had a good church and he preached to people and was real gentle and quiet and kind and John didn't get the kind of raising I got I had to really st- I had to get real introspective. That means to look into myself and find out what the real answers were. 
because of that man. So I'm thankful I had the father I had. And I don't think my brothers and sisters can say that. Now, let's continue here. So, they say, how can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then he defines what his flesh and blood is in verse 55. He tells them. They were asking the question, how can we do this? He said, here's what I want to tell you. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So what you got to eat and drink of is indeed. Whatever that means. Alethase. That's the word truth. You got to eat and drink of truth. That is an old ancient Jewish saying. I am kind of in a wonder why they didn't know that. You know why I think they didn't know that? Because they were just old ignorant country people. The eleven, the eleven apostles were from Galilee area. Galilee was like being from southern Mississippi. If you hadn't been down there, you ought to treat yourself and go down there. <laughs> Boy, you talk about a bunch of rednecks. They got them down there. I went down there to preach for a preacher on predestination. And Larry Hill went with me to run a camera. And Larry was a black man. And uh, they all, we went to this Southern Baptist church out in the country, and they all went and shocked when he walked in. They said, he's the first black man that's ever been in this church. I said, well, ain't that something? Well, he's going to be here to run the cameras for us. They are very prejudiced in Southern Mississippi. So prejudiced, you don't even want to go through there if you're black. They just... There's a lot of people down there that hate blacks. It's just it's crazy. They hadn't gotten over the Civil War yet. It's nuts. So, eat flesh, aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. I've defined this word as much as I've defined any word. That's the Greek word. It's actually aletheis, A-L-E-T-H-E-S. That's the word indeed, or of truth. Of course, it is a form of aletheia, which is the word truth. And we always got to define truth. He that doeth truth cometh to the light. You haven't come to the light unless you do the truth, unless you eat the truth. This is eating the flesh of... This is not doing what the Roman Catholics do. This is where they come up with Christ's mass. They raise the Eucharist up. Where did you get this, Jim Brown? I got it out of a book I've got in my library. History of, of words. The word histories. It tells you about histories. I got a... Right here. It'll tell you this is... Well, that ain't it. I got the book up here somewhere. I didn't know I was going to get into this tonight. I hope nobody's taking it. It's a book 
Does anybody see it? You know what I'm looking for. Inside Catholicism? Huh? Inside Catholicism? What? What? I can't understand what he's saying. Inside Catholicism book. What do you say? I can't understand what you're saying. Oh, inside Catholicism is that the one you're looking for? Inside what? Catholicism. Inside, yeah. That's what I'm looking for. Huh? Uh, I don't see it then. Now I hope nobody's taking it because I don't know why I get another one. But it's from inside Catholicism. And they raise the Eucharist up and they utter these words. It's, this comes out of word histories. This is not even anything to do with religion. Word histories, they say that they raise the Eucharist up and they utter these words. Hoc est corpus eum filet. Hoc est. Est. Corpus. Eum. Filet. And they say these are magical words. In fact, what I was looking at was hocus pocus. They tell you that hocus pocus comes from this. It was a convolution that that's what the musicians use. Hocus pocus presto changeo. They say when they utter these words that that cracker turns into the, that Eucharist turns into the litter body and blood of Christ. It's all incorporated in that Eucharist. They call that the very presence of Christ. And they say that it turns into the body and blood. That has nothing to do with what the Bible says. That is the Mass. If you are Roman Catholic, you have to partake of the the festival of the Mass to go to heaven when you die. That's what they tell you. You have to partake of the Mass. That's the whole reason for the Inquisition. They had several forms of it. They had the Catholic Inquisition, the Medieval Inquisition. The several... This went on for about 500 years where the Roman Catholic Church, they had what they called the Dominican, uh, the Dominicans and the Jesuits. The Dominicans started the Inquisition by a man named Tokimata. Tokimata started the Inquisition and they it went on for about 500 years and they would have an, an inspector general he would be elected by the church. He would organize this thing. They would send people into villages and tell people you have to partake of the sacrament of the Mass and renounce your Protestant beliefs. Most of them would say, I'm not going to do it. And they would torture them. They would peel their, peel their skin off. They would disjoin them. They would do some of the most crude things. They would take a woman and cut her breasts off, cut her legs off, cut her arms off, and set her on a stool out in some middle of some field to languish until she died. That's what the Roman Catholics did to some of these people. I was telling the story about, it's in Fox's Book of Martyrs. They'll tell you all about it. And they would take, they took this one young man, he was 19 years old, 
And they said, will you renounce your Protestant faith? He said, no. And they took him and put him in the fire at 19. He had nothing else to live for. And they burn him on a cross. It's a hard book to read, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I gave it to the lady across the street, and she said, I couldn't continue it. She said, it's too hard to read. I said, I know that. But that's what the Roman Catholics did to the Protestants, to these families in England and all over the European continent. They were the Waldens family, the Huguenots, the Cathars, and these families were tortured over a 500-year period and killed. They said they killed, the conservative estimate is 50 to 60 million people by torturing them and killing them. And then, so these families got together, the Huguenots, the Waldenses, the, the Cathars, and several other families got together. They were numbered in the hundreds of thousands. And they came together to America, and they said, we will call ourselves Puritans as we come to this new land. And Puritans, they said, we'll do this because we'll purify this new nation of all Roman Catholic influences. And they outlawed Christmas, they outlawed Easter, anything that had to do with Catholicism. That was before we were a nation in 1776. Before our... Independence Day. That was back in the 1600s, 1629, when a lot of the Puritans came over here and they outlawed Christmas. America didn't celebrate Christmas till somewhere close to 1900. I've got several books on this. I've got one called The Battle for Christmas, written by a man named Nissenbaum. He was a professor at the University of Massachusetts, and he will tell you all about what Christmas was like in the 1800s. It didn't even resemble this Christmas today. Not at all. Had St. Nicholas, a little short, skinny guy, and he had a black... Uh, had a black little black midget that went everywhere with him and he was supposed to be a demon and they did crazy things and you will never see George Washington around a Christmas tree during his tenure as president because they didn't do it then you won't even see Abe Lincoln around a Christmas tree in 1864 before he was assassinated in 1865 you never saw him they didn't do Christmas back in the 1860s it was against the law in America and whether anybody believes that or not, that's in hundreds of books. Go online, look up Pagan Origins of Holidays. Look up Pagan Origins of Christmas. Look up Pagan Origins of Thanksgiving. Look up Pagan Origins of Mother's Day. That went back to the, the goddess mothers of the ancient world where they worshipped Malita and Venus and Aphrodite and those gods and goddesses. Same thing as the grove that is a worship in the ancient Israel. Now, let's let's look at the rest of this. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Eat flesh and drink blood is to eat and drink of truth. Truth is the word aletheia. It comes from lanthano, which means to hide or conceal. So when you eat flesh and drink blood, 
the alpha in front of that negates the word it means not to hide or conceal anything that's how you eat flesh and drink blood and the bible says eat flesh and drink blood was an old ancient idiom of the jews why didn't they why did the apostles not know that they were farmers and shepherds from northern Israel and they weren't weren't learned in a lot of things particularly in a lot of the culture and customs of Israel because the guys who knew that were down in southern Judah that was the Pharisees who were the rabbis of the old Babylonian synagogue so they didn't know much up here so that's why they would say what do you mean eat your flesh and drink your blood it wasn't like they knew what the Bible says over in Ezekiel in Ezekiel the 39th chapter when the Bible speaking of when God destroys Gog and Magog in the ancient world when he destroys Gog or when he says he's going to destroy Gog and Magog he tells us about the future in the 39th chapter when there's a lot of bodies left upon the earth and he says in verse 17 of 39th chapter verse 17 and thou son of man thus saith the Lord God speak unto every feathered fowl and every beast of the field assemble yourselves and come gather yourselves to every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you fowls of the air eagles vultures bears lions all these millions of dead bodies are going to be upon the earth even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that you may eat flesh and drink blood that's partaking in a slaughter you find that same thing over in Revelation in Revelation the 19th chapter Revelation so that was a common saying among the Jews but they didn't know because they were just a bunch of country people from northern Israel that's why when Jesus told them go into all the world and teach all nations they're going what there's there's all these foreign languages all over the world and mainly there's these dialects of the Koine and all we know is the northern Israel dialect of the common Greek language we don't know all these languages how can we go into all the world we're just a bunch of farmers and shepherds and fishermen that's probably why they did that's probably why they said to Jesus what do you mean eat your flesh and drink your blood we're just country guys we don't know nothing about those sayings and he says the same thing over here in that is a prelude that is a prophecy this 39th chapter of Ezekiel is a prophecy of the 19th chapter of Revelation was a prophecy at the end of time so he says uh, he's talking about the end of time verse 17 of chapter 19 of Revelation I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God there's going to be millions of people dead upon the earth it was a disgrace to the Jews not bury people in the ground not have some kind of tomb for them to go into 
that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond and small and great and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. That's talking about Christ coming back on a great white horse. How do you make war with a king? How do you make war with a king? You attack his wife, the church. That's a good way to get a man on you real quick. Attack his wife. So that's what they do. And look back over here at Romans 8. (coughs) Romans 8. This is what they call this in Romans 8. All right. And he's talking here. Verse 36, talking about the church. As it is written in verse 36, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. When we tell people the truth and take the cover off, tell them Christmas is pagan, predestination is true, God does not love everybody, we become lambs to the slaughter. And we eat flesh and drink blood. And look back over here at Matthew 24. I didn't understand this until I studied the Old Testament and studied Revelation. Couldn't understand it. The apostles asked Jesus, what's going to be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he goes through this whole thing, talking about the end of time. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ. They'll actually say that Jesus is Christ. And they'll deceive many. And then there'll be pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, nation rising against nation. And... I love this verse down here, verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, anomia, no legal food for sheep, the love of many shall wax cold. That word love of many is the word agape. Walking in God's commandments is growing cold. That word wax cold is the word suko, and it means to breathe gently or reduce in temperature or to die. The agape of many is going to die. That's happening today. People are not walking in the commandments of God. And then he says down here, and he keeps on going and says here, if people say, this, is a, this chapter is about the end of time. There's going to be great tribulation such as is not from the beginning of the world. No, that's in verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. I believe we're headed into that with our politicians being crazy and out of their mind and the preachers unwilling to say the truth. We're in that time period now. And then he says, except those days be shortened, no flesh of the elect will be saved. And then he said, if any man say unto you, Lo, here's Christ in the desert. Believe it not. Here's Christ in the Mormon temple out here. They say that Jesus comes and talks with that man in the Mormon temple. Jesus said, don't you believe that? 
for there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. It's not going to be possible for you and I to be deceived. But if they're going to be so good, it's going to look so good. That's what we got today. These politicians look good. The preachers look good. You know what it reminds me of? Always reminds me of two verses. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And Luke six twenty-two, 6.26. And when he says, reminds me of James 4 and 4. You adulterers and adulterers is talking about spiritual adultery. Know you not that friendship with the world is enmity against God. Enmity is the word ekthra, E-C-H-T-H-R-A, E-C-H-T-H-R-A. means hostile. These people that are convincing, if they are hostile to God is what they are. They're hostile to God. And then he says... Friends of the world are enemies of God. That's why they will deceive the very elect if it were possible. They're going to look good in the flesh. And then he says, For us, don't you believe that Jesus said, The next time the world sees me, in verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, even so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I used to think he was coming out of the east. What would the east be if you got a if you got a globe up here of the earth? If this is a globe of the earth, and this is the United States in here, and this is the west, and this is the east. Shine from east to the west will be all the way around the world. Every eye shall see him. He said so when he comes back. What about people down here that can't see through land? God will cause them to see him. And then he says those words. For wherever the carcass is of all these people... There will the eagles be gathered together. He's talking about this same thing that you found in Revelation 19 and Ezekiel, that 39th chapter, where the eagles and the bears and the wolves and all the fowls of the air come. That's where the bodies of all the dead people are going to be all over the earth. Then he says... Immediately after the tribulation of those days, after all this three and a half years is finished, I believe that'll be the last half of the 70th, 70th week of Daniel, 70 weeks. And the believers are going to die all through that period. There will be no pre-trib rapture. We're going to be changed at the last trump. Not right at the beginning of the tribulation. There's seven trumpets found sound. Revelation 8, 9, and 10. And in 10th chapter, 7th verse, the seventh trumpet sounds. Christ has got one foot on the land and they on the sea. And he says these words, time shall be no more. There's no more time after the seventh trumpet. And we're going to be changed at this last trump. 
So there's no seven years of tribulation and there's no thousand years of time. Just not true. I haven't believed that, quite believed that since I was a boy and I first heard it. I thought, this doesn't make any sense. What do you got? After seven years of tribulation, you shift gears and go into the thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, God says, okay, it's all overhead down here. Now you get to go into heaven. Doesn't make any sense. It never made sense to me. And it doesn't in the Bible. Now, let me just give you some more things off to this paper. All right. 312 A.D. Malvian Bridge when Constantine goes Constantine he was only emperor of the Eastern Empire when he first inherited his position as a young man. He was just he was over here in Turkey up here what they called they named it after him, Constantinople, at the top of Turkey. Constantinople. They call it Istanbul now. There was an old song about that. Istanbul. It used to be Constantinople. The four lads had a song. Uh, Istanbul is uh, Constantinople. Now, see, Istanbul used to be an old song out of the 50s. He wanted to be head of the entire empire. He was over here at Constantinople. So he's going to have to go over here, come across the Malvian Bridge. That is the bridge that enters into Rome. And he wants to conquer everybody in the empire. And what he has to do is go over there and attack Constantius. Constantius is over here in Rome, the boot of Italy. Rome is up here. So he comes over here, comes in, comes to the Malvian Bridge, Malvin Bridge, and he says that before he crosses the bridge, he looks up in the sky. Says he sees a cross in the sky, and he's got he's got a man that travels with him. That's one of the most brilliant men of that time. If you're head of the world empire, you can hire the best man, the most brilliant man. He hired a man named Lactanius as a tutor for his sons, for his son, Lactanius. And Lactanius, brilliant man, he said that Constantine did not see a cross in the sky. He said he saw this. Now that looks like an X to us, but it's a CH, a key in the Greek. It's this key right here. Right there. This is not this is not an X. That is a CH, a key. You might join some fraternity in college and get a key. Or a Sigma Chi or something like that. They call this a Chi in college. This is the X right here. 
that's not an X. So what he saw was a CH. And later on, he added the R of the he added the R of the Greek language to it. And they called that the Labyrinth of Constantine. A Labyrinth was a guidon. A guidon, I was in military school, and you have a guidon bearer. He marches in front of the other troops, but he marches in cadence with them. Uh, two, three, four, and he'll say, they'll say some, give some command, and he'll put the guide on straight out for us to look. I was right. Well, that was a guide on. That was a labrum of Constantine. That is in the Roman Catholic Church. They put that in the church, and it stands for C-H-R. That's why it actually means C-H-R-S-T. It means Christ. That's why when I was a kid down in Texas, my father was an independent Baptist preacher, and they would get berserk when they would see on some store X-Mass sales. That's exactly what it was. It was a C-H-Mass. That's a Roman Catholic symbol for Christ Mass. And that's what it actually was. I didn't know that then. Boy, them Baptists said, it's not X-Mass, it's Christ Mass. Stupid people. You didn't know nothing about nothing. It is X-Mass. It's C-H-Mass. That's a Roman Catholic thing. Of course, the guys that owned the store didn't know that. They just put it out there because it's easier to put X-Mass than Christmas. So they put X myself. So that's what Lactanius said he saw. And you see that if you watch the Midnight Mass on December the 24th, you'll see that either that on the Pope or you'll see this right here. See this? On the Pope, that's called an Iron Cross. That's called an iron cross. I can't do that very good. And that is a form of the swastika. It's a form of this. It's got these arms moving out like that instead of going all the way out. It's a form of the swastika. And the swastika is a part of the Christ's mass. I'll go into that next time. I do this every year, but we got Christmas coming up on us. And I just want you to know, I got all these notes on Christmas. I got this paper I did on Christmas. I didn't realize at the time it was as thorough as it was, but it is pretty thorough. I've been reading it lately. And I went through all of this festival and the things that they corrupt, they used to, that people used to say it's okay to do Christmas, but I'll kind of keep on this right now. This is a paper I drew up some years ago. So let me read some more from it. 312 A.D., the Malvian Bridge. He said he saw that cross, but this is what Lactanius said he saw, the C-H. And added the Greek R to that, which looks like a P, and that's actually C-H-R mass. Constantine conquers Magnus and Tius, taking over the entire Eastern and Western Empire. He issues the Edict of Toleration, which amalgamates Christianity and paganism. I've got that. 
all documented in a book uh, called The Myth of Mary, written by Cesar Vidal. Brilliant Spanish man, but everything he usually writes, he does it in Spanish. This decree declares the freedom of Christians, which heretofore have been fed to the lions and gladiators. Now that they could own property and they would not kill they would not be killed just for being Christians. See, the whole point is this edict of toleration, we've got that going on in the world today, don't we? And what? Political correctness. Political correctness. It's politically incorrect to put anybody down that you disagree with. And it's getting worse and worse. I believe the church is under attack right now. Because it is wrong to tell people that it's wrong for for homosexuals to marry, for lesbians to marry each other. Uh, that's that's getting politically correct for them to marry. It's incorrect to say that the Bible teaches against it. But I have to tell the truth. But it's not any worse being a homosexual than it was in the Old Testament being an adulterer. You had to die for being an adulterer as well as being homosexual. But there were many capital offenses in the Old Testament. If you were if you were a rebellious child, they could not be controlled. You had to take him out and put him to death. Boy, if they had that in America, we would really stop a lot of the a lot of the rebellion among teenagers, wouldn't we? Now, let me read some more to you here. Uh, 324-325. The Nicene Council meets. Constantine begins the Roman Catholic Church with the fire worship from the ancient world. He started the Mass, Christ's Mass. He reached back to the ancient world of Babel, 2500 B.C., brought the fire and tree worship into the Catholic Church in the name of Christ's Mass when it was actually the Feast of Saturn. Christmas hits the calendar for the first time in 354 A.D. 354 A.D. is when they put it on the calendar. 354 years after the birth of Christ. Then, 1642, the Puritans banned Christmas in England exacting penalties for its celebration coming to America in order to verify the church of all Roman Catholic practices. Christmas was outlawed in America. December the 25th, the most famous day in the ancient world, the birthday of Mithra, the chief sun god of Rome. He was called Hercules, Tammuz, Thor, Adonis, Achilles, etc. in various societies. These were the sons of the sun god. The Israelites called him Baal. These were the generic names for Nimrod, the founder of the Babylon of the Babylon at Babel in Genesis ten and verse ten. Doctrine of Christmas. I'm reading from this paper here that I did back I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago. Doctrine of Christmas. This beginning of 
Babylon fire worship system was founded on the doctrine of let us make us a name. That's what Babylon was founded. That was their doctrine. They found a plain in the land of Shinar. They said, let us build us a city and a tower and let us make us a name. That's what all the fire worship goes back to. Name is the word Shem. It means authority. Shem was the second born son of Noah. And the people said, we don't like this strict of a life. So we'll make up our own Shem, our own name, our own authority. So what they did... They made a parallel doctrine of Babylon and all of their gods, their sun gods, were said to be virgin born. Virgin born. And many of them were said to have been born in a cave near Bethlehem. Addis was said to have been born in a cave near Bethlehem and he had 12 followers. Boy, this thing goes on and on. This system of pride or self mothered all idol worship. Let us make us a name. Let us make up our own doctrine. When they said, let us make us a name, the Bible says in the 11th chapter, the next verse says, God said, I'll confuse the languages. I'll scatter them all over the earth. And he says, now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. You know what Christmas is? It's man's imagination. Demons are man's imagination. Man don't want to deal with himself. That's why he likes Christ's mass. He likes his imagination. The system of pride, self or self-mothered, all idol worship. Revelation 17.5 says that. When you're getting involved in your imagination, that's dangerous that ever existed or that continues to pollute the world with a doctrine of self-esteem. When man commits any sin, he he perpetrates his own will, I will, or self-will. That's what he does. When God says, thou shalt not, he says, I will if I want to. Now, let me give you the fourth point on this. I need to have some of these made up so I can pass them out and give them to you. How much time do I have, Mike? Fifteen. I'm not going to get through this paper. I'll have to go through some of this other truth about Christmas that I wrote about 25 years ago or 28 years ago. Maybe back in 1985 or something like that. Babylon was not only the beginning of fire worship, Christ's mass. It was the beginning of demon worship after the flood. That's where demons started with. Demons were said to be, see, demons and Christmas and tongues and all that come out of the same imagination of Babel. Demon, demonion, means to distribute fortunes. That's what all these charismatics are involved in when they say God wants you rich, distribute fortunes. Except they distribute the fortunes to themselves, say God wants you rich if you give me money. Give me your money and you'll get rich. If you give Kenneth Copeland your money, who's going to get rich? He is. Those verses don't say what they say they're saying. A demon was a God-man. 
it was half man half God that's why you'll see these movies with Hercules in it and and they call him the son of the gods it's really easy to find that watch one of them old 1950s 60s black and white or cheap color movies and they got some guy Steve Reeves playing Hercules and he's a god but he's a man who was the first god man Jesus. Huh? Jesus. No, I'm talking about the first God man. That man was a God and God was a man. I'm talking, who was the first demon? Adam. Huh? Adam? No, it was Eve. Eve was the first. She distributed the fortunes of the tree to herself, didn't she? She saw all that was in the world, all in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And that's what John said. John said in First John 2.16, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Eve saw a tree that was good for food, fulfill the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eye. It would fulfill the lust of the eye and the pride of life it would try to make her wise and she could be proud of herself those are the three wishes of a genie that's what that's what a demon distributed to you if you can't believe in demons without believing in genies and without believing in fairies they were all the same thing in different cultures I really believe men came up with these inventions Demons, genies, fairies. Uh, they called them genius in Rome. They called them uh, guardian angels in Greece. They called them totems in America. And they were all, they were all their ancient ancestor worship is what there was. And they said that demon, Daemonion, that this was their ancestors and they would come and have it a person's body and guide them to fortunes either good fortunes or bad fortunes most of the demons the writers will tell you in the first century were good they were good demons the amazing thing to me you can look up E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N I-S-M Eudaemonism means well demon. And they'll tell you in Webster Dictionary that means welfare. It'll also tell you that in the Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. It means welfare. And do you know the United States was built on eudaemonism? And that's what Jefferson patterned it after. It's just astounding to me. I don't know how I can learn all these truths and these facts, and no other preachers can learn them. You know what's wrong with them? They're lazy. They don't study. They went to some seminary and got their degree, and they had studied anything since. I don't ever quit studying. I study every day. I've always got a book. Got books everywhere. I want to learn the truth. A demon was a god-man, a man who was a god, or a deity, like Hercules. He was the champion of the people, distributing them fortunes. Good or bad, when you look at Hercules, he had to go into the underworld, and he had 12 labors to distribute fortunes to the people back on earth. That's what Perseus did. If you saw the old movie, Clash of the Titans, he had to 
leave uh, Argos. Argos is a Greek word, means lazy. The people in Argos, he had to leave them, go into, had to fight Satan, go across the river of Styx to death in hell, and go down to hell and kill the Hydra. And it's just amazing how close that was to parallels truth. Because when he comes back, he comes back on Pegasus, which is a flying white horse. And in the 19th chapter of Revelation, Jesus is coming back on a flying white horse to destroy the beast. And when Peg- when Perseus comes back, he's got the head of Medusa. She's got these eyes that everybody looks into it will kill him. And they're flashing and he holds this, he picks this head of Medusa up and flashes it in the beast's face and it crumbles all to pieces. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he comes back. He's going to destroy the beast and it'll be cast into hell in that 19th chapter of Revelation. There, those guys that did the first, the first class of the Titans, that was more biblically correct than most preachers know in America. If you want to see something biblically correct, get that old the old movie Clash of the Titans it was just amazing because it showed Andromeda who was the who would be a picture of the church she's going to be tied to the rock so she can be devoured by the beast but before she's tied to this rock and the rock would be a picture of Christ before she does that she's baptized in water before we are tied to Christ, we're baptized in his blood. And the beast comes to devour the church. And Perseus comes back and holds that eyes up to the beast. And it crumbles. And Christ comes back in the 19th chapter of Revelation. And the beast crumbles and he casts into hell. They got that out of Bible. I don't know who the guy was that wrote that. But it it correctly resembles the Bible better than any movie I've ever seen. It was really, when it comes on, I like to watch it, see if I can see more things about it. But it's the original Clash of the Titans. It's worth watching. Babylon was the beginning of Christmas, Christ's Mass, fire worship, and the demons which were called the child or Yule. Yule means the child or wheel. Yule. just I've got to go through this the swastika was originally the sun wheel a fire wheel in the ancient world it was the wheel of the year that's where our wreaths come from if you're going to put a wreath on your front door at Christmas just put a swastika up there okay people say what is that what's the wheel of the year and it had all of these I've got it in this paper at all the festivals, but you have to know what it's about. I've spent a lifetime studying these things. I knew Christmas was pagan when I was a kid. I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't have no influence with anybody. When I was 12 years old, living in Fort Worth, Texas, my father, have y'all heard me tell this story? We heard about TV. We never seen a television. We didn't. Know, we didn't even know they existed. I was twelve when we heard about it, and 
because Bill Hunter's father bought one. That was my older brother's classmate. He was a year older than me. And, uh, of course, Bill Hunter's got, father got one. We told my father about it. We'd never seen one. And Daddy went out and bought a little eight-inch screen about like that. And it had rabbit ears. And it was a box about this big. And sometimes the picture would go, the horizontal hole would, had to get behind it and straighten it up. And, uh, and then it'd go back straight. And we'd watch everything. We watched I Love Lucy, and that's the year she came on TV, 1951, when we got our first TV. And we watched wrestling on Tuesday night or Monday night or something like that. And we watched the Midnight Mass, and I'm sitting there as a little kid, sitting there, and all I could think of, I'm watching the Midnight Mass, and I'm thinking, I'm evaluating everything like my mind always does. I'm saying, this is Christ's Mass. Is this Christ's Mass? I'm saying it to myself. And I'm saying, this must be Christ's Mass. It is Christmas Eve, and there's the Pope, and Santa Claus is supposed to come down. And I think... Santa Claus is another name for St. Nicholas and I found out later that it went through this this development it came through Holland as Santa Claus when it got to America it was Santa Claus St. Nicholas and I was saying I think he's a ancient Roman Catholic priest or something I found out he was a 4th century Roman Catholic bishop and uh, I just didn't know what to do with all this and I knew he was supposed to come that night, and I found out what he was later on. And many of the writers think that he was a pedophile because he gave gifts to children. And I don't know how people can accept all this stuff without knowing anything about his background. And I just stuck it in the back of my mind. And my father being an old country preacher that preached in little bitty churches and little bitty buildings and sometimes a school old schoolhouse he never did have any money and mama started coming to us I was about 13 or 14 and she'd say there won't be any Christmas this year your daddy don't have any money that didn't bother me so much what really bothered me I always had jobs as paper boy or worked at Sackers and Grocers, grocery stores. What bothered me was that the poor couldn't participate in it. That bothered me more than anything else, and it bothers me to this day. The poor can have nothing to do with it. I never understood. Why does the rich kids get all these nice gifts from Santa Claus and we get these little bitty uh, pistols with caps in it or something? Why? Why? It seems inequitable. You know, it just wasn't right. And I just, it really bothered me to such an extent. I didn't know what to do about it. So I had to wait till I grew up. Started studying the Old Testament when I was about seventeen, eighteen. Studied it for years. I'd read and study, and I couldn't understand it. I'd leave it alone. I'd quit, and I'd start, and I'd quit, and I'd start, and I'd quit. Finally, a lot of the things when I they started fitting together. I got to sing Sword, Famine, Pestilence, Sword, Famine, Pestilence, Sword, Famine, Pestilence, Beast. I'd see that over and over. I think, why is that in the Bible all the time? Then I saw where Israel was going after Baal in the grove. I started defining it. When I was, when I was in my late 30s, 
I started saying, I think all these, I think all these, this thing that we're doing called Christmas has to do with Greek and Roman gods. So I called a professor at a seminary. I said, I think we're involved in Greek and Roman god worship with this thing called Christmas. He said, and he didn't argue with me. He said, well, what you need is you need a set of McClinic and Strong encyclopedias and and two Babylons by his lot. I got that and I was on my way. But I had suspected that it was wrong since I was 12. And I don't know what to... I don't know what to say to people. If people are elect, they'll hear this. They have ears to hear. And they will recognize the condition of the world. It's terrible. The world is sick. And I've asked young young people, do you think the world is crazy? They say, yes. I'm going to come back. I'm out of time. I'm going to come back and try to finish this paper with a swastika that is an ancient good luck symbol has to do with crops in the spring and uh, I'm going to go through the swastika again This, all of this is the reason for God raising up evil against Israel for 2600 years for the 70 weeks of Daniel that's the purpose of the 70 weeks was to chastise Christmas, for chastise Israel for going after Christmas under its ancient name, Baal in the Grove. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. I don't know what what to ask you for nowadays. It just I get depressed seeing a world that doesn't believe you. Forgive me of my sin. And Lord, convict the hearts of the people here to know that they have to be repentant every day and be sorry for sin daily. That you are doing nothing but perfecting us, putting us through all these trials. But as you do, Lord, I want to pray like David, deliver me from the wicked, which is thy sword in thy hand. Give us strength to continue. Deliver us from doing evil. We'll praise you for all things. Lead us to your elect. In Christ's name, amen. amen. I know this is saying the same thing over and over, but I can't do anything else when I'm telling you about Christmas. I just want everybody to get a hold of this. What we're doing with this nation is evil. The whole nation is evil.